Morning, everybody. Merry Christmas. Voice of a child, I heard that. How beautiful was that? Let's continue our worship with three people that are worshiping the coming King. Three people this morning. So let's pray together. And we're going to dive in here. Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 39, and work our way through Mary's Magnificat. Let's pray together. Father, what a beautiful time so far. We worship you. We love you. We honor you. We want you to come, continue. We know that you're here. We know that you're with us and in us. Every true believer that is in this room has the Holy Spirit of God inside of them. And Holy Spirit, we know that you love to make much of King Jesus. And so, show us him. Show us him this morning. Help us to behold him like these three individuals. They are trusting you, believing in your promises, what you have foretold, and they are believing that he's coming. And they are leaping for joy. They are worshiping. They are worshiping with profound gratitude and affections. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm praying for. I'm praying for us to worship to worship Jesus. Father, I was thinking there as Chris was praying that we deserve to be incinerated. We deserve you to flood the world each and every day. And yet, instead of doing that, you came. You came to save us. And so, Lord, help us. Help us to see Jesus. And behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now. I want to start by getting you up to speed with where we are at in the birth of John the Baptist and Jesus. If you were here last week, we saw the angel Gabriel visiting Mary in verses 36, 26 actually, through 38. He was explaining to her that she was going to bear a son in her virginity. And this son was going to be incredible. He's going to call... Call his name Jesus, is what he said to her. Call his name Jesus, and that means the Lord saves. This son is going to be great. Greatest man ever. And because he's great, he's not just a man. That's why he's great. He's the son of the Most High, he said. And he's going to take the throne of his father David, and he's going to reign over his kingdom forever. It's verses 21 through 33. To which Mary then asked the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And so he answers, The Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you. He's going to come upon you. He's going to conceive in you. He's going to prepare a body for Jesus in your womb, Mary. And then we see this. Mary, if you have any trouble believing that God can do this, listen to this about your cousin Elizabeth, verse 36. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Sixty plus years. That's what the scholars say. She was barren, couldn't have any children, and now that she's past the normal childbearing years, she's pregnant. She's pregnant because God wanted her to be the forerunner of the Messiah, which was prophesied in the Old Testament, Mary. And then these words, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. God said it was going to happen and God is making it happen. And we know that He's making it happen because nobody else can make a 60-year-old or a virgin pregnant, 
Mary, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing at all. And I love this. She believed it. Behold, she said, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word that I believe with all of my heart. It astounds me. This 14, 15 year old girl says, I believe it. I believe you. And so the angel departs. The next thing we see is Mary packing her bags, heading straight to Elizabeth's house to see this pregnancy. And once she gets there, all joy and all praise and all song just breaks forth everywhere. And one, one commentator wrote down or asked the question, why is this? Because women are having babies? We love children, don't we? Don't we, newborns? Children, grandchildren. But it's not just, this is what the commentator said, not just that they're having babies. They're erupting with song and joy and praise because God has shown them favor and clued them in on the fact that God is coming to earth in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Messiah. This is the Son of God. This is the King of David's line. Just like He has promised in the Old Testament. His covenant promises to His people that He's going to save them and bless them. And brothers and sisters, that includes us too. And so just like these women erupt in worship and joy, we should join them and do the same thing as we go through this text. So let's take... Let's take a look at Mary's visit first. Elizabeth's song. So we got a visit, Elizabeth's song, and then John's joy. They call this the visitation. I would add to it the visitation that leads to exaltation. Exaltation of what God is doing in their lives right now, in this moment. Remember, I said last week, it's been 400 years since God sent His last prophet. And Mary is excited. Stoked like my five-year-old at Christmas. This is great. Luke writes in verses 39 through 40. Take a look. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now, I don't want to get bogged down in the unnecessary details, but this action... This action on Mary's part struck me big time. It says to me that she really believed. She really believed the angel's announcement that he just gave to her. And I'm just wondering, in my mind, did the Holy Spirit even conceive the Lord Jesus in her at this moment? But at this point, she's not, not seeing anything. Right? And yet, she still believes in ghosts. She doesn't say, yeah, right, I'll believe it when I see it. Not Mary. She believes this. She believes the Lord's Word. She believes what the angel told her. And she took action right away. That's what it means when it says, she arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And listen to this. It's a hundred miles away. A hundred miles. And I thought to myself, you see, really believing God's Word is going to lead to action. It's going to lead to action. And for Mary, it's riding in a wagon or a donkey or whatever for a hundred miles to see my cousin because I believe God's Word. And so she makes a beeline to Elizabeth's house. And when she got there, Luke says, if you look at the text, she entered the house and greeted Elizabeth in verse 40. Greeted her with her voice. And I don't know what she said. Maybe shalom. 
Hello. And yet as soon as she said that, I thought to myself, this is like the voice of God to them. Like Moses was supposed to be the voice of God to Aaron. And joy erupts everywhere, even in utero. Verse 41, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, say whatever she said, the baby leaped in her womb. Which she repeats. She repeats this again in her song in verse 44. Verse 44, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Leaped for joy. Now I'm asking the question, Elizabeth, how do you know that your baby was leaping for joy? I've never had a baby in my womb, but I'm thinking about this could be just just a boom in a diaphragm, right? I mean, I've seen babies moving. But then I thought to myself, mamas know, don't they? Mamas know. She knew this was a massive explosion of joy and faith and belief and awe from the Baptist in her womb when he heard the mother, the voice of the mother of God. And then I thought to myself, oh my goodness, oh, John the Baptist, oh, I want to be like John the Baptist. Do you remember how he responded when he saw Jesus outside of the womb? I love the Baptist. Behold, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. This is the Baptist. He's already in awe of Jesus. In the womb. And I think this is why. If you look back to verse 15, he has the Holy Spirit already. Verse 15 says, he will be great before the Lord. Speaking of the Baptist, he's going to be the forerunner. But he must not drink wine or strong drink. And listen to this, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Which means, at this moment, in verse 41, when the Baptist is leaping for joy in Elizabeth's womb, he's full of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what happens when a person is full of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters, listen to this, loves to reveal Jesus and make much of Jesus and glorify Jesus and say, Oh, John, it's Him! And He leaps for joy at 24 weeks old. Let that blow your mind. 24 weeks old. He's leaping for joy in His mother's womb. I don't know about you, parents, but I prayed for this for my own kids. That they'd be born again in their mother's womb. That they'd know Christ early on. And and selfishly, I wouldn't have to discipline so much. but... (laughs) But this is incredible. This is incredible. Full of the Spirit from the womb. And there's two two observations, two short ones that I want to make about this. Number one, I told you before, the Spirit of God loves to make much of the Son of God. Loves to. Jesus said this in John 16, 14. He, meaning the Holy Spirit, will glorify me and take what is mine and declare it to you. Declare it to you, which means that when a person is full of the Spirit, if He's really in you and He's in me, He loves to reveal who Jesus is in all of His glory and all of the truth about Him, opening our eyes, saying to us, Behold! Behold your God. Behold your Messiah. Behold your Savior. Which make all of us leap for joy 
at who Jesus is. That's what spirit-filled people do. Number two, and I know this isn't a sermon about abortion, but it could be. So I'm going to preach on it for a few minutes. But I want you to notice two things about the Baptist in this passage. Number one, he could feel joy at 24 weeks old. Don't tell me a baby can't feel pain or joy or emotion when they're in their mother's womb. And that leads to the second thing that you should notice in the passage. That the Baptist in the womb at 24 weeks old is called a baby. It's what he is. A human baby being knit together in his mother's womb. So please do not call a baby in the womb a blob of tissue or not a baby yet. Because they're not outside of the womb. That's just plain wrong and wicked. It's a human baby at conception, 10 weeks, 24 weeks, or 40 weeks, or when they're born and live outside of the womb. I want you to see this. John Piper says, The Bible knows no distinction between a baby in the womb or a baby outside of the womb. Let me show you. In chapter 2, verse 16, it says this, The shepherds went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Same Greek word. Interesting, isn't it? The Bible knows no distinction between the baby inside the womb and the baby outside of the womb. So stand up for life, brothers and sisters. Stand up for life. In the womb, outside of the womb. Don't do it sinfully. The Lord will right every wrong. But stand up for life and preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. To those who thinking about abortion, or maybe even those who had an abortion, Jesus could forgive that too. It's like He's forgiven me all of my sins. He could forgive that too. He shed His blood on the cross for those sins too. Praise God for the gospel. Now, this baby leaping for joy is going to lead to Elizabeth joining in. And you know what I thought to myself? Even as I'm going through this text and thinking about John, Elizabeth, Mary, brothers and sisters, this this is not affectionless worship. This is not stoic, ho-hum, just head, no heart kind of worship. These people are blown away, amazed, and they are marveling. And they were so grateful for what God is doing. And they are worshiping with the head and the heart. Look at Elizabeth's emotional song and her blessing at the end of verse 41. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, She's not saying, bless are you among women. <laughs> Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. She sang for joy when the Baptist jumped in her stomach. And what made her sing for joy? And she said, ah, stop it, John. Stop it, stop it. It, wasn't, it was the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ that made her shout for joy. And again it says she's filled with the Spirit. She's filled with the Spirit of God who's revealing to her, maybe, maybe through the angel, and also reminding her of the Old Testament prophecies. John's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. And the Lord Himself is going to be born of Mary. She must have known. She must be thinking about these things already. She's going to call Mary the mother of my Lord in the next sentence. And so she knew. She knew that Mary's going to bear the Savior Jesus, verse 31. The Savior Jesus, the Great One, verse 32. 
the Son of God, the Messiah King, to sit on David's throne and rule the world. And so full of the Spirit of God, believing all these things from the Old Testament, she shouts, she shouts with a loud cry, Luke says, and blesses Mary first for the honor of bearing the Lord Jesus. She says, blessed are you among women. Why? Blessed are you, Mary. Why? Because she's been chosen. She's been chosen to be the mother of the Son of God, which is why she says next, blessed is the fruit of your womb. Your womb's going to bear the Savior, the Son, the King. And then she confesses this one to be the Lord. In verse 43, she says, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me. To me, why? Why me? Why me? I love her humility, first of all. You feel that? Why is this granted to me? She knows she's being favored and blessed right now by God sending Mary, the mother of God, the son of God, maybe in the womb already, to her. I think she's totally overwhelmed. She's grateful that God Almighty would not only set His love on her and save her, choose her to be the four the bearer, the forerunner of the Messiah. Now she's in the presence of the Messiah himself. Can you get into the story or what? I'm into the story. <laughs> be there, be there. Can you imagine? It's the mother of God going to bear God in the womb. That's what Lord means here. She says, my Lord. The mother of my Lord. Somebody made this point, and I think it's very good. She said, you know what, Peter is not the first one to confess Jesus as the Christ or the Lord God. Now, remember, the name Lord is used all over Luke already as the name for God. Temple of the Lord, verse 9. See that? Temple of the Lord, verse 9. Angel of the Lord, verse 11. John will be great before the Lord, verse 15. Now, Elizabeth is confessing Jesus to be that Lord. Look at, look at her response again in 43. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Did you notice the word right before Lord? My Lord. That's personal. The mother of my Lord. She knows this Lord. She knows this God. Do you know this Lord personally? God is a personal God. Jesus is a personal Savior. He comes to save His own. And this is my Lord. I love that. And then she is declaring loudly, I believe the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. She knows her Bible. She knows Psalm 10, 110, verse 1, where David refers to the Messiah as the Lord. My Lord said to His Lord. All of this truth is just erupting in her. I love it. Love it. One more important point that I want to mention quickly about Elizabeth before we look at Mary's joyful eruption in song, and that is the fact that Elizabeth is not worshiping Mary. She's not worshiping Mary here like so many people believe today that she worshiped Mary when she blessed her and said this. She's not worshiping Mary. Let me say it again. She's not worshiping Mary. She's blessing her for being the chosen one to bear the Lord Jesus, which is a tremendous blessing. 
But it's not worship because Mary's the venerated, perpetual, virgin, deified Mary. There's none of that in this text or anywhere in the Bible. She's only chosen to be the human mother of Jesus. And again, what a wonderful blessing, but it's not worship. Secondly, I love this. Elizabeth blesses her for her faith in God's Word. Look at what she says to her in verse 45. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord, that she will bear. She will bear the Son in her virginity, just like the Old Testament said. I love these two women. They know their Scriptures. They know the Old Testament. And they're believing it. They're believing the angel. Give me this kind of faith, Lord. That's what Hebrews teaches about faith, right? Remember, Mary doesn't see. She doesn't see Jesus yet. Remember what Hebrews says? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things unseen. Because she trusts God's Word. God's Word. All right. Well, let me say this. Let me say this. She's commending Mary for her faith in God's Word. You know what came into my mind? I said to myself, you know what i got to do more of? i got to commend my brothers and sisters who take God at His Word, who believe His Word, and they do it. Right? When you see that in one another's life, give them a high five and commend them. You believed it. Good for you. Way to go. That's what she's doing here with Mary. Blessed are you. You heard from God, and now you're believing it, and you're acting on it. Can we do that, brothers and sisters? You know how encouraging that is? Let's watch for it. Look for it. When you see a brother and sister obeying God, doing God's Word, yes! Yes! Chris does that, literally. I love it when he does that. When he hears about somebody just acting on God's Word, yes! Gets so excited. I love it. It's what we should do. It's what we should do. All right, let's go to Mary now. And her Magnificat. So she's going to erupt in joyful song because of what God is doing, bringing the Lord Jesus to the earth. And so this song is called the Magnificat. It means to magnify God's doings. And you know what amazes me about this girl, 14 and 15? This blows my mind. There are echoes of the Old Testament everywhere in this song that she is singing from her heart. There are echoes of Genesis, echoes of Hannah's prayer in Samuel, echoes of the Psalms, echoes of Isaiah, which means, you know what that tells me? That this 14 or 15 year old girl is saturated with the Bible. It's everywhere in her. I thought of John Bunyan, you know, when Spurgeon said, you prick him, he bleeds bibline. That's what happens to Mary. You prick her, she bleeds bibline. Just Bible, Bible, Bible comes out of her. And now she's applying it to her situation. I picture this song sung passionately by her. You know, like, I've never seen it live, but you ever tune into YouTube or somebody sends you something where these people just start singing Handel's Messiah in the mall? And it's just people just, they come around, they just erupt in song. And I thought to myself, that's, that's what I want to do here. I want to join her. I want to, I want to savor this song and I would join in with her and just sing this. Sing this. Hmm. So here's the first thing. 
Here's the first thing she says. She starts out by singing. My soul magnifies the Lord. Magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. My soul. My spirit. It's the same thing. It's deep down inside of her. This is coming from her heart. Magnifies. Glorifies. That's what she means. Makes much of the Lord. The Lord who is doing all of these incredible things that He has promised. Now it's happening. Oh my goodness. Put yourself in Mary's shoes. These things are happening right before her very eyes. And she is involved. She's involved. Again, remember how I said the Old Testament is shot through this song and and she knows her Bible. She knows this is the greatest prophecy that has ever been made. It's just totally welling up inside of her how great God is, how great His character is, His promises, His mercy. Brothers and sisters, this is just not going through the most. This is not religion. This isn't pharisaical prayers who just like to look good and just Say a lot of words. This is coming from deep down in her heart where the Word of God lives as well. And it's just coming out. She echoes Hannah in the Old Testament. It's a great thing. Remember Hannah's story? I don't know if you remember Hannah's story. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 2. But she starts singing too because of the great things God has done. Remember, she was barren. Hannah was barren. She sang too. She sang this, My heart exalts in the Lord. Exalts in the Lord. Sound familiar? This is what spirit-filled people do who are grateful for what God has done. Even though they know they don't deserve all of these blessings, they don't deserve it, and yet they know that God is blessing, God is favoring, God is saving by His mercy. That's what Mary sings about next. The fact she needs, she needs a Savior too. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, she sings. God, my Savior. She knows she needs a Savior. She needs His grace. She knows she's a sinner. Do you think Mary knew the Old Testament and the Ten Commandments? You better believe she knew the Old Testament and the Ten Commandments. Do you, believe, do you think she knew that God is holy, holy, holy? She knew that. You think she was familiar with all the sacrifices, reading about all the blood of Leviticus, seeing it in her own day? She knew. She knew that God would only allow perfection in His presence, in His sight. She knew. She knew she was a sinner. She knew, Ezekiel 18.20, the soul who sins shall die. She knew this. I bet she knew Isaiah 53. Do you think she knew Isaiah 53? He grew up before them like a young plant. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, smitten by God, and afflicted, wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. A lamb led to the slaughter. I don't know if she knew the full scope of it. I just wonder. But she knew she needed a Savior. She knew it. And then she goes on. She goes on to bless God for choosing her, a little old nobody in the eyes of the world, to bear the Son of God. 
This is what God does. Look at what she sings in verse 48. He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. The humble estate of His servant. She was a nobody gang, a poor, lowly peasant living in backwater Nazareth. Nazareth of all places. And I told Brother John last week that I love people from New Jersey. That was just a joke. <laughs> I could talk about Pennsylvania big time. I really could. But she was nothing special. Nothing special. And nobody is in God's eyes, right? I thought, <laughs> nobody can impress God that God would choose. Nobody. Nobody. LeBron James with, what's he got, 100 million followers on Twitter? You think that impresses God? Who gave him the talent? God gave him the talent. God didn't go to the LeBron Jameses of the world or the Taylor Swifts of the world to bear the Son of God. He goes to the humble, the lowly, Mary. Mary knew this, a humble sinner who lived her life before God in reverent and humble, obedient fear. And God picked her out of the world. That's unbelievable to me. The God of this universe. You think he'd go to the most popular, but he doesn't. He goes to the lowly, chooses her. And that's just that's what he does. Chooses the lowly of the world to bear the Son of God. That's why she's blessed. Why she sings the next line, for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. Will call me blessed. Not because I'm holy, this is what she would say. Not because I'm the Savior, but only because I'm giving birth to the Savior am I blessed. Again, this is not worship. The Catholic Church is dead wrong on this one. This is not saying that Mary's sinless or a perpetual virgin because she was so pure and stayed pure as a sinless virgin. That's why she was taken up into heaven to Jesus' right-hand side where she is to be venerated, worshipped, and you know what? You can go to her for grace and mercy and salvation because she's the co-mediator with Jesus Christ. That's blasphemy. There's only one mediator we studied in the book of 1 Timothy. One. The God-man Jesus Christ. One pastor said this. You know what Jesus did actually? He devenerated Mary. I thought, what do you mean? He said this. Remember what he said in Luke 11. And that's not to say that he didn't love her. Of course he loved her and saved her. But he never said that she's be venerated and worshipped. You remember this? A woman in the crowd said this to Jesus in Luke 11. Blessed is the womb. I don't know if you remember this. Go home and read this. Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. Jesus said, blessed rather are those who hear the Word of God and keep it. He didn't say, yeah, worship my mom. He didn't say that. Nowhere in the New Testament does it say to worship mom. Blessed, yes, but not worship. Mary knows this is more about God than her. He's the one doing all these things. Look what she sings next. For he who has done mighty, or for he who is mighty, has done great things for me. Has he done great things for you? Saving you. For Mary choosing her to give birth to a son. God is the mighty one. God is the mighty one. God is the one who saves. God is the one who's conceiving his son in my womb without a husband. God is the one who's done great things. Let's make much of God in this church, brothers and sisters. 
And then she goes on to say, God is mighty and holy. Holy is his name. Holy is his name, his name alone. Holy means to set apart from everybody else in holiness and perfection and character and thought and behavior. He's perfect in every way. Holy, holy, holy is His name. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. There's only one who's holy, holy, holy without sin. And that's God. Perfect in every way. Perfect in every way. Somebody pointed this out, and I think they're right. Mary is really, really singing about her humility and humble estate, spirit-inspired. And then somebody said this, don't forget that Luke's writing to Theophilus. Theophilus, who might have been a powerful official, might have thought way too much of himself. You wonder. Luke's warning him. He's warning him not to think, because God's high, exalted, mighty, and powerful, that he favors the rich, favors the proud, the powerful like the world does, Nothing could be further from the truth about God. The opposite is true. He loves to save and exalt and lift up the humble and the reverent because they know they're not God. And they need God. They need His mercy for sinning against Him. Look at verse 50. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. Listen, everybody should fear a holy God. Everybody should fear a God who can flood the world every day if he wanted to. He promised he'd never do it again. Praise him. Or cause it to just like that because he holds it up by the power of his word. Or commands the storms to cease. There's a reason why the men in the boat, you read the Gospels, become more afraid of Jesus than even the storm. Because he's the God-man who commands the universe with his word. He's God. It's the reason why Jesus said, be afraid of the one who can throw both body and soul into hell, not the one who can just kill the body, right? Fear God. Fear God and revere Him. And anybody who does that, she goes on to sing, He shows mercy to. He shows mercy to, which means to have passion and compassion and pity and forgiveness to miserable sinners who don't deserve it, right? Remember I said last week about, about Jesus and Peter, the miraculous catch of fish. Man, He realized He's hauling in a boatload of fish. They were fishing all night long. Jesus is thrown over there, and they're pulling in fish. And he realized, oh my goodness, whose presence am I in away from me? Don't be afraid, Peter, Jesus said. Don't be afraid. I have mercy on you. Mercy on you. Don't you want mercy, gang? Don't you want mercy from the one who made the world, sustains the world, has control of the world, has control of each and every one of us? I want mercy. He will have mercy. He can have mercy on you today. It says here for every generation. You've got to notice words when you read the Bible. Not just her generation, our generation as well. If we fear Him and tell Him that we are sinful, I've sinned against you, I've broken your law, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, Father. I know you sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die in my place, to take my sins upon Himself and to bear the wrath that I deserve for all of eternity in hell for the things that I have thought, said, and done. Have mercy on me. I trust Him. I trust His death. Have you done that? Have you repented of your sins and turned to Him and pleaded with Him? Pleaded for Christ's blood to cover you before God and He sees your sins as gone. Paid for in full. That's what Jesus said on the cross. Amen. It's finished. It's finished. God no longer sees them. 
God's wrath no longer remains on you because Jesus bore it all. That's the gospel. Have mercy. Now Mary's going to go on and sing about exalting the humble and then humbling the proud. Verses 51 through 53. He's shown strength with his arm. He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. I see two groups of people I think she's thinking about here. From the Bible, the Old Testament, New Testament ideas, the verbs can actually refer to both time frames. So she's thinking about the ones that God humbles by His mighty arm. Because they're proud. They're proud in their hearts. And He brings them down from their mighty thrones. Sends the rich away empty because they're boasting in their riches. And we know these examples, right? Decimating mighty Egypt. He decimated them. Mighty Pharaoh devastated their land. Livestock, children, drowned them in the Red Sea. Or scattering the proud in their hearts. Bringing down the mighty from their thrones like King Nebuchadnezzar. If you don't know that story in Daniel 4, he says, Is not this great Babylon? I've built with my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. And yet, while the words were still in his mouth, the Bible says, A voice from heaven said, O king, the kingdom has departed from you. It's gone. You will dwell with the beast for seven years and eat grass like the ox until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men. And gives it to whom he will. Oh, does he ever show the strength of his arm all over the Bible. Right? So many ways creating the world. Making the sun stand still. Parting the Red Sea. Raising the dead. Healing the deaf. Casting out demons. Walking on the water. He's strong. He's strong. Or the rich. Think about the rich. Think about New Testament examples. Remember the rich man who loved money in Luke 16? Rich man of Lazarus. He went to hell. He just wanted to taste the cold water. The rich young ruler in Luke 18, God sent away. He sent him away because he loved money more than God. Jesus was heartbroken. This man loved his money. He didn't want to, he didn't want to sell it all and follow Jesus. He went away. Brothers and sisters, don't envy the proud. Don't envy the rich. Don't envy the powerful. Especially the ones who do not honor God or fear God. He will scatter. He will confuse. He will give them over in their thoughts and their beliefs and their conviction will ruin their lives. He'll eventually bring them down from their proud and arrogant perch. He will. I don't care if you're the best athlete on the planet or a powerful politician or the devil himself. He's going to bring down. And then for the humble person, he loves to exalt. This is Mary in verse 52. I thought the shepherd boy David loves to exalt the humble. The humble boy like David. The shepherd boy. The shepherd boy. His brothers looked at him and thought, he becomes the greatest king ever in Jerusalem. Or Moses the nomad made him the leader of millions. Or Mary, the humble 15-year-old in Nazareth that made her the mother of God. Or 
Chris's passage that he read, the Lord Jesus Himself, who made Himself nothing, became a servant in the flesh in order to die on a cross in obedience to God's will. And it goes on to say that God exalted Him. God exalted Him and gave Him the name that's above every name because He loves to exalt the humble. Same is true, brothers and sisters, if you're saved. He loves to exalt us in a million little ways during this lifetime. But just wait until the next world when He exalts us. He exalts us with glorified bodies like Jesus has. He's going to make us co-heirs with Jesus who get everything that He has. This is incredible to me. We will rule the world with Jesus. We are going to sit with Him on His throne. This is what He promised. This is what He promised to us in the book of Revelation 3, chapter 3, verse 21. We are going to be big time exalted. Especially in the age to come. And yet in the meantime, He will fill you with good things. He will fill you with good things for your soul. That's how I take verse 53 mainly. He's filled the hungry with good things. With good things. Can mean physical bread, for sure. But I think this mainly refers to spiritual and soul satisfaction, joy and peace that only God can give through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. What God's holiness and righteousness Enjoy, I will satisfy you. Everyone who drinks of the water that I will give him, he said to the woman at the well, will never be thirsty again. Never in their soul. Meaning satisfaction, salvation, peace, joy, eternal life. Mm, it's living water. Brothers and sisters, hear me. You're not going to find this in movies or a high-paying job or more social media or more money, a bigger house or more fame. If you live for those things, ultimately, they will lead to an empty soul. Because they're here today, gone tomorrow, and you can't take them with you. Give your life to Jesus. She had all these husbands. I think he's telling her, don't go back to another husband. Here's your husband. Let me fill you with living water for your soul. It fills us with all good things. People that he saves. This is verses 54 and 55. Mary sings, He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever, forever. This is what God has promised to Israel, to Abraham, to Moses, to all the prophets, all throughout the Old Testament, that God would send a Messiah who would usher in the new covenant. Ezekiel 36, Jeremiah 31, take away their sins forever through a Savior, give them the Holy Spirit to live a new life, to walk in His ways until they get to glory. Well, He will raise them up like the Messiah and they will rule the universe forever in the new heavens and the new earth. This is nothing but sheer mercy from God to all those He will save. Praise Him, brothers and sisters. This includes us. This isn't just believing Israel. This is Jew and Gentile. Christian Israel. This is tremendous stuff. Tremendous promises. So, is your heart leaping for joy? Is your heart leaping for joy? This is sheer mercy and grace. When God could have flooded, annihilated, sent us to hell the first time we ever sinned, here He is sending His Son to save us and to redeem us and put His Spirit in us, sanctify us until we get to glory where we are heirs and co-heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ forever and ever. We enjoy His presence. We judge angels. We sit with Him on His throne. Huh. Are you ready to sing? Father, thank You for this. Thank You for these three 
people who are spiritual people. And Holy Spirit, you love to save people and reveal Jesus. And no wonder their hearts are just erupting in song and praise at what God is doing and sending His Son who is willing to come and bear our sins, take them away, bring us near to You, reconcile us to You to where we are forgiven forever, cleansed forever, seemed righteous and perfect forever in Your eyes, and we get to enjoy You forever. So we're so grateful. We're so grateful to You, King Jesus, that You did this for us. Father, we're so grateful that You sent Him. May our hearts erupt now with songs of praise to Your name. And we thank You for this in Jesus' name. Amen.